Hello, my name is Tudor Oman. I'm one of the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Consultants in the Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children. I've been asked to talk to you today on pediatric cardiac arrests and maybe give some of my tips uh, in this field. I do recognize that this audience is probably uh, quite a mixed group, uh, with some of you only starting off in your training uh, and maybe haven't had that much exposure uh, to any arrests in children. However, I know that there's probably a lot of you who are battle-hardened uh, pros who have seen it and done it all, um, and nothing's going to phase you. However, I must admit that I haven't met anyone who hasn't let out a little wee uh, when they hear the uh, pediatric arrest uh, bleep go. Uh, I'm hoping to have something for everyone here. Uh, from a statistical point of view, uh, there's no way that I can compete with adult medicine in the volume of patients uh, that you have probably seen in cardiac arrest. And that's just down to statistics. Pediatric cardiac arrest is quite a rare presentation, um, uh, but can be quite specific in its cause and different in its causes uh, to adult uh, arrest. So without further ado, we're going to move into the statistics and as usual we break uh, the statistics into pre-hospital and in-hospital cardiac arrests uh, due to the difference in presentation uh, and CPR delivered uh, and management. So out of hospital cardiac arrests in adult uh, it's estimated about 70 per 100,000 um, per year uh, is the number and when we look at children uh, that's all the way up to sort of 18 years old, there's 7.2 to 11 per 100,000 uh, cases a year. So quite small numbers. It is a rare presentation. Of those, there's a very small amount that is caused by uh, traumatic cardiac arrest. And a study in 2017 showed that analysis of the TARN data in relation to cardiac arrest in children uh, due to trauma, where there was only 15 cases, um, which is, accounts for about 0.6% of the TARN data. Now that's a very small number. I'm sure over the recent years with the increase in knife crime uh, that we've seen uh, that this number is now increased, uh, but at the minute it's still small, small figures. Most of these are not going to be shockable. Only 7 to 10 percent of out-of-hospital cardiac arrests are to, due to VF or VT, um, uh, the majority being asystolic arrests, and that comes down to the etiology of pediatric cardiac arrest, uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Within this age group, um, there's stratification of risk as well. So less than one year old is the majority of patients that we see in cardiac arrest, and they have the poorer prognosis as well, with only 3.3% uh, of them uh, surviving to discharge. The second peak we see is in adolescents, uh, and then uh, middle age, uh, children between one and adolescent age uh, being the, the least affected and their survival rates uh, indicate uh, that as well. So there's better survival in children uh, and then teenagers, there's another dip in survival. Survival with no neurological deficit is also very poor and we'll talk about this. Um, often out of hospital cardiac arrests can be unwitnessed and they can have a prolonged no-flow phase uh, which results in poorer neurological outcome. So survival with no neurological deficit is around 0.3 to 4% in out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. What contributes to survival? So as I said, short no-flow stage. The no-flow is when there's no circulation occurring. Um, 
and uh, so bystander CPR has been shown to be very important in, in the management of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest to reduce that no-flow stage. Ventilation, and I mentioned this, and I'll men mention it later as well, ventilation is very important. Adults are moving to C uh, chest compression only CPR uh, in the community uh, due to the etiology of adult cardiac arrest, but ventilation is very important in pediatric cardiac arrest. ROSC before, oh, sorry, uh, return of spontaneous circulation before arrival in ED is a good prognostic indicator. Shockable rhythm, uh, and also adrenaline. So adrenaline is a, a bit of a questionable uh, topic here. Uh, a Paramedic 2 study came out showing that those in out-of-hospital cardiac arrests that received uh, adrenaline had a more, more return to spontaneous circulation. However, the neurological outcome wasn't as good. We haven't extrapolated that data to pediatric studies as yet. And there are some studies that show children who have um, early adrenaline in and bradycardia with shock uh, in hospital uh, have poorer prognosis uh, than those that don't get it or have returned to circulation prior to receiving adrenaline. Either way, there's not enough evidence to make a decision on adrenaline in pediatric cardiac arrest as yet. So the algorithm still stands. We follow the APLS guidelines. Adrenaline should be given in pediatric cardiac arrest. In hospital CA, it's about 100 times more common than out of hospital cardiac arrest with one to six to, per thousand. Um, and a majority of these, uh, a lot of these, about 2, 2 to 6% of these occur in PICU admissions. And this is, this is common sense. Uh, you've got children who are admitted to, to the hospital because they're unwell, they've got comorbidities, um, and therefore they're a higher risk population already. 71 to 88% have pre-existing conditions um, and ROSC is achieved in 64% of those with a better survival of 12 to 25%. It's still poor, but it's better than the out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And that's also sensible because you have monitored environment in which quick, effective CPR should be able to be provided. Um, and these children often have better neurological outcome. Again, only 10 to 14% of these are shockable, uh, the rest being asystolic. I've kept etiology to the end of those two groups rather than separating them because it's similar in in-hospital and out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Most children progress to cardiac arrest from a respiratory uh, or cardiovascular failure, um, leading to hypoxia, hypercarbia, uh, increased acidosis, hypotension, eventually impaired cardiac function, and then asystolic arrest. And this is the usual pathway that children follow, uh, and therefore treatments need to be aimed at trying to minimize these and, and deal with uh, the hypo, hypotension and the, and the hypoxia that they're experiencing. So, as I've mentioned, there's different phases to cardiac arrest. There's pre-arrest, there's no flow, low flow, and post-arrest, okay? No flow where there's no movement of blood in the body, low flow when CPR is commenced, and post-arrest. Uh, I'm not gonna talk about post-arrest very much here, but if I had a further point to make here is that as I was going through my training, it was all about trying to get return of circulation. We worked hard in a cardiac arrest uh, to try and get that, and very little thought was often put into the post-cardiac arrest um, management. Uh, and what I would say, if, my, if I had another point, was to, to ensure that while you're going through this, you're, you're preparing as well for success. We, 
uh, if we don't prepare for success, then what will happen is that the child will get ROSC and over time may drift back into cardiac arrest again or have a worse outcome, neurological outcome, because you weren't prepared for that. And uh, Dr. Canaris, uh, who's teaching on this course as well, has written an excellent article on post-cardiac arrest uh, management, um, which you should read. Um, so I won't take his thunder. So my first pearl. Now, please don't go to sleep on this. All right. Uh, it's not what you probably all want when you come to an emergency uh, uh, conference, um, but I think it's highly important. Prevention is better than cure, and we need to look at this uh, in our pediatric population. I'm sure in adult population, similar issues uh, uh, are there, um, but in prevention in children, as a pediatrician, that's one of my responsibilities, to look to see what I can um, prevent happening so that I don't have to deal with a pediatric cardiac arrest. And in hospital, one of the things that comes across um, uh, and has been extensively researched is uh, the use of early warning scores. Now, in our, in our hospital, we use early warning scores. These show you the trend of observations a child uh, who has been admitted is having and gives you early warning that something is not right, either a persistency in a tachycardia or increasing oxygen requirements. And that score then gives you an alert, uh, the nurses an alert to say either increase the period of, uh, the, reduce the period of observations or get a doctor to see. And it allows you to consider early intervention uh, in, uh, in preventing this child de child's decline to cardiac arrest. And when you look at the etiology of pediatric cardiac arrest, uh, most of these are progressive conditions. They are declining over a period of time. And if you can pick that up early enough, treat your hypertension, treat your hypoxia uh, early enough, you can prevent this child uh, stepping into cardiac arrest. Along with this goes education uh, of staff to recognize um, key features in history, examination, and also observations to prevent um, uh, missed cases. And when we look in our department at uh, serious adverse incidents, um, over, the over the years, uh, those that were missed often had predictors in their history or in their observations when they dis were discharged. For example, a common one would be a persistency in tachycardia, an unexplained tachycardia, and then they come back either in cardiac arrest or severely unwell. And so therefore we tell our staff that they are not able to discharge a child with abnormal observations unless there's a good reason. For example, you've had them on salbutamol inhalers and therefore they're tachycardic, but there's otherwise well. But if you are unable to explain um, uh, abnormal observations, then a senior needs to see them or they needed to be admitted for observation. So I think this is key in, in prevention of pediatric cardiac arrest. We deal with a population where the signs of cardiac arrest can be seen in most cases uh, and prevented uh, if we are observing them well. I also have the privilege of working in a department that is very good, has a very good public health involvement and we run a number of different campaigns. So we see a lot of SUDIs, uh, sudden infant deaths uh, in our department each year. And this last year has been particularly bad. Um, and educating the public on safe sleeping patterns uh, and safety with children in general uh, can reduce uh, the, the chance of seeing babies coming in dead uh, to your department. I think we all have a role in that. If we are seeing 
uh, severe conditions coming in with decline uh, that, that, that result in cardiac arrest, death, or increased morbidity, then we have a responsibility to look at how we can prevent that. And sometimes it's about doing the work uh, with public health agency and bringing awareness to the public. Other examples are button batteries, uh, the recent uh, increase in magnets and, and perforated uh, viscous due to magnets. Um, residential speed limits, uh, car seats, seat belts. These are all, fa uh, all campaigns that have reduced um, traumatic cardiac arrest, uh, traumatic uh, or, or uh, other, other causes of cardiac arrest in children. Carer education comes into this. An admission to hospital is an important time to teach patients, uh, parents what to look for uh, in decline in their children when they go home. In our department, we em emphasize every child who gets discharged should be told what signs they are looking for for deterioration in their child, and if any of these occur, to come back to our department. So parent education is key, and part of that is doing CPR training. Uh, and there have been studies showing that uh, children with chronic conditions um, who have received education and basic life support actually do better in cardiac arrest uh, because they get early intervention at, at home. So those who have out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with chronic, um, chronic conditions actually have a better survival. Uh, bystander CPR is very important and that comes down to public involvement and training and availability of AEDs. Um, so survival uh, with uh, bystander CPR, you get 9.4% out of hospital cardiac arrest versus no um, uh, bystander CPR at 4.7%. This it comes down to a reduced no-flow stage. And if you have a look at the statistics, if you wait one minute before starting CPR, you're functioning, you're providing about 20% of normal cerebral blood flow. If you wait nine minutes before uh, uh, CPR is commenced, you have no flow. Uh, cerebral blood flow uh, and the outcome is a lot worse. So uh, early intervention with bystander CPR is important. Now children have less less bystander CPR than adults do and this may come down to the fact that most pediatric cardiac arrests occur at home and therefore in an uh, unwitnessed or uh, have limited supply of people who may may know CPR and that's where parent education comes in. My second pearl um, is about providing early good uh, basic life support and there's good evidence to show that if you provide good basic life support in children that the outcome is is better so you get higher survival you get better neurological outcome but evidence is also there that shows that even in hospitals even in pediatric hospitals we provide inconsistently good cpr and it's up to the team leader during resuscitation to be brutal about pulling off pulling up people who are not providing the correct chest compression, both the rate and the depth. And there was a study done in an intensive care unit uh, showing that regular short periods of um, simulation, uh, just giving real-time feedback on depth of compression and rate of compression, improved survival of the patients. Um, and the importance of this is depth of compression. You're not going to get flow if you're not pushing hard enough. Um, Rate of compressions, if you, if you go too slow, you're not providing enough circulation for the uh, brain and you're not providing enough coronary circulation. If you push too hard and too fast, uh, sorry, too fast, then you're not allowing full recoil of the chest and you're not allowing time for the uh, coronary arteries to perfuse and therefore this can actually be detrimental to your resuscitation. So effective high quality CPR is key. And my second point, the main point I wanna make 
is that running regular simulations with your team, teaching them the depth and the rate that they should be um, should be uh, doing chest compressions will will improve your outcomes from your CPR in your department. And I'm trying to instigate that in our A&E department with regular interval training on both bag and mask ventilation and chest compressions to ensure adequate basic life support. So debrief is also very important after post-arrest uh, post to ensure that learning uh, comes from it, but my main point is made. My second one is tied to, my third one is tied to that, ventilation. Now, as I said, adults are moving towards chest compression only um, uh, resuscitation, and that's because um, the etiology is different. You have an arrhythmia, you, you suddenly collapse. These people are not generally hypoxic initially, um, so the etiology is different. In children, you have a hypoxic or circulatory collapse in which there is a low oxygen uh, store in the body already. Children have a higher metabolic demand uh, and increased oxygen requirements. So therefore, this is a reversible, this is the reversible cause in initial cardiac arrest in children. So if you do not provide ventilation breaths, you're not going to get anywhere uh, with your CPR. So at the minute, standard bystander and out-of-hospital cardiac arrest still recommends uh, providing ventilation breaths to children. I've got in here oxygen or air. Neonates use air uh, due to the risk to the premature brain. Um, due to the hypoxic uh, nature of, of pediatric cardiac arrest, it's still recommended to use 100% oxygen uh, during your resuscitation, but maybe in the future, in the near future, we'll see some more studies coming out in the concentration of the oxygen we provide during our resuscitation. The main point I want to make here is that there's been studies, uh, it's a question I actually get asked uh, a bit by ambulance cruisers, should we intubate or not? Um, and evidence has shown that bag and mask ventilation uh, is as effective um, uh, at providing uh, good CPR to the, uh, good, good resuscitation to these children. Um, and that uh, intubation in inexperienced hands can actually lead to prolonged delays in providing effective basic life support. So my recommendation is that unless you are experienced and you know that you can intubate this child uh, quickly, if you are getting good chest lift uh, and you are able to ve ventilate this child, bag and mask ventilation is your tool of choice. Um, there are some papers that have indicated that uh, intubation in hospital um, results in poorer prognosis of children. And again, this may lead maybe because of uh, the delay in prov or, or their pauses in attempting intubation uh, with delay in providing uh, chest compressions. So if you're getting chest lift and you are um, uh, able to bag that child, then bag and mask ventilation, unless you're an experienced operator, uh, should be your choice uh, in ventilation. Remember that we're all panicking a little bit or we all feel stressed in a pediatric cardiac arrest and uh, overventilation uh, can be detrimental to your patient. One of the indicators for poor prognosis is uh, persistently low CO2 in a child. So if you are overbagging, and I know I have a tendency initially and I have to check myself uh, when I have an arrest situation that I am bagging at the right rate, um, all you're trying to do is lift the chest. You don't need to overventilate them. Uh, so just be aware of your, your bagging skills uh, and how much you are, you are providing. And this comes down to training again and should be regularly 
uh, simmed with uh, your team. My last, uh, my last um, uh, point is more about when to stop resuscitation. And I know as a pediatric trainee, as I went along, uh, you're involved in a resuscitation and the fear of missing something or not doing something that could have reversed the situation leads you to going into prolonged resuscitation. Uh, and I remember prolonged resuscitations as I waited for a, a senior person to come in and make the decision uh, to stop resus. And this is my word of the day. I don't even know if I can pronounce it properly. Uh, dysanthasia. And this is prolonged resuscitation uh, just to preserve life uh, with no real benefit. Okay, and therapeutic pers perseverance or medical futility are other words that you can use. And this is when treatment offers no hope of recovery or improvement uh, f or for which the patient is permanently unable to experience the benefit. And more and more we're looking at neurological outcome for these children and prolonged resuscitation, even if you get ROSC, often leads to a poor prognosis with a severely uh, disabled neurologically deficit child or someone who then later progresses um, to further cardiac arrest uh, later on. Factors which may influence your decision are the cause of arrest. So if there's a massive traumatic cardiac arrest, uh, which it's not compatible with life, or there is an underlying medical condition uh, that uh, the outcome is not going to be good. These are indicators that uh, maybe your, your resuscitation attempts are futile. Whether it was witnessed or unwitnessed, as I said, um, uh, reduced low flow states, uh, a no flow state uh, is a better prognosis. Prolonged no flow uh, has poor outcome. Bystander CPR, duration of CPR. Um, so it is thought that if you have asystole, and you have no reversible causes identified, if you have resuscitated for 20 minutes uh, or more, uh, then the outcome is, is not, not survivable. Um, the initial arrest rhythm, as said, VF arrest has got a better prognosis, although in children we see mostly asystole, so my experience is that I've seen more children recover from an asystolic arrest, but that's just statistical. If you look at the outcomes of VF arrest, there are more chance of, of survival uh, if you have a reversible cause. Change in rhythm from asystole to, to VF uh, gives you something to, to treat um, and has a better outcome. Per persistently low ETCO2 I've mentioned. Reversible causes, um, if you've run out of reversible causes and the child is still in arrest, then the outcome is poor. I put in here echo, and uh, there's been a little bit of research in looking at um, cardiac standstill and echo. I like a bit of point of care ultrasound, but the evidence is that not great uh, for making a decision on cardiac arrest, uh, stopping cardiac arrest based on, on cardiac standstill. 14% of adults who had cardiac standstill progressed to have uh, a recovery of circulation. Um, and therefore it's not currently recommended in, in medical uh, cardiac arrest. However, in our traumatic cardiac arrest algorithm, it is there as part of your decision-making tool. If you see cardiac standstill and you've, you've done all your surgical procedures to try and uh, uh, return circulation, uh, then ECHO can help you make a decision to stop. If you have standstill, uh, futility is there. Uh, Pre-morbid conditions we've talked about uh, and then when definitely dead. As I've mentioned, we see a lot of uh, SUDI cases coming in, and often these cases, uh, these children have been dead for a while, and they arrive in uh, with CPR ongoing. They have 
um, rigor mortis uh, and pooling of blood. Uh, they're cold, and at this point, uh, resuscitation is futile. Um, so early cessation of uh, CPR uh, is beneficial, not, not necessarily looking specifically at the child at that, but trying to, to take your team through a resuscitation that everyone knows is futile is not good for the team morale uh, um, in, in that respect. So there are times to continue uh, resuscitation. Uh, VF arrest uh, is one of those, uh, and you can get this electrical storm that you may need to continue resuscitation until uh, you've dealt with all reversible causes uh, and given a chance for that to settle down. Hypothermia, such as in your drowned patient, uh, is an important uh, time to continue resuscitation, and the saying is that uh, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Uh, sometimes this can be difficult uh, to, to call, uh, but that is the general rule. In asthma, you get this hyperinflation uh, due to air trapping, uh, and so resuscitation should be continued until you're able to decompress that chest a bit uh, and allow circulation, because you get this effect of tamponade on the heart with this hyper, these hyperinflated lungs. Um, toxins are an important cause of pediatric cardiac arrest. Uh, and if, if there's toxins related, uh, there's evidence to show that prolonged resuscitation um, uh, can result in good return of circulation and good neurological outcome if prolonged. So the, the decision to stop resuscitation is the team leaders. I have to emphasize it is not up to the parents. The parents are emotional, uh, they have a lot more uh, riding on this, but it's a medical decision to make. Don't ask the parents whether you should stop. It's not their responsibility, it's your responsibility. It doesn't have to be a responsibility that you bear alone. You have a team there. And I would often discuss termination of care with my team, highlighting what we have done, the things that uh, we have reversed, and the length of resuscitation that has gone on before I make that decision. You need to continue CPR until you feel like you have enough information to uh, make that decision. So initially when they come into the hospital, uh, you often don't have, and you may need to do a round of CPR just to, to get a hold of all the information that you need. Each case is individual, um, but prolonged resuscitation can be devastating, have devastating consequences if return of circulation and the child is significantly neurologically knocked off uh, or has a later cardiac arrest and death can be traumatic to the family. And, all of, and in all of this, don't forget your team. This is traumatic to the team as well. And post-arrest uh, debriefing, both hot and cold, have been shown to improve outcomes for future uh, resuscitations and also help with team mental health. So in summary, I'm not the guru here. I'm giving you my thoughts on cardiac arrest. Uh, but prevention is better than cure. High-quality CPR is key. And practice that over and over again with your team. Four-yearly APLS doesn't provide enough uh, practice for that. Children need to be ventilated, and bag and mask ventilation is as, a, is as effective in the untrained, in, instead of intubation if you're not trained specifically for that, and know when to stop. So that's it, guys. Any questions?